Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I am the founder of Teach the Geek. I work with technical professionals so they can present more effectively, especially in front of non-technical audiences. And you can learn more about that at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. If you are watching this on YouTube, a review or a comment would be nice. And if you are listening to the podcast, well, a review would be nice as well. Today, my guest is Cybersecurity Officer Brett Harris. He's a speaker, too, speaking on cybersecurity topics. Armed with a degree in computer science and a background in decision theory, he now finds himself where he is today. So welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Brett. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Wonderful. So from the research I did on you, I saw you got a degree in computer science. Where did the interest in computer science come from? Oh, I think I've probably always been interested in computers. Um, Probably, I don't know, in grade school, I was at that point, I, you know, I'm old, I'm probably older than most of your listeners, but, you know, we didn't have computers at home, but my school did have a few computers and I was interested in them there in grade school. And then moving into middle school, you know, I became even more interested. I started building my own computers for myself and tinkering around and, and all kinds of things like that. Okay, nice. You know, I I also mentioned in the in the bit of intro, in the intro that I did on you that your background is in decision theory. So, what is decision theory? So, I I would say this is I I would say it's less of a background and more of a passion of mine. Uh, decision theory is around um, how people make decisions and making the things that you're supposed to do easy to do and the things that you shouldn't be doing hard to do. That's a very simple way of describing that. Oh, okay, nice. So how does decision theory factor into cybersecurity, if at all? I I really feel like it factors into pretty much everything. Um, so I'm gonna give you like a non-cybersecurity example. And there was this book called Nudge that was written that goes into these kinds of techniques. Um, but one thing that they've seen, here's one example I think that's given in that book where uh, they wanted employees to start investing more in their 401ks. So what they did was they had uh, new employees were automatically enrolled to contribute a certain percentage of their income into their 401ks. You could very easily go into a portal and and cancel that so that you weren't contributing. Um, But the easy option was to do so. And they saw many more employees uh, raise their 401k contributions because of that. On the cybersecurity side, it's the same way. A lot of times cybersecurity is viewed as kind of a blocker uh, to different things, at least historically. So it's really important that we find ways to make doing the thing that's cyber secure the easy thing to do. So for instance, I think um, using single sign-on technology is a great example of that, where you don't have to remember a million different passwords. You log into a website with 
your corporate credentials and you're using the same password, the same multi-factor authentication that you use across all of those different sites. So instead of remembering 30 passwords, you just have to remember one and that makes it easier. 100%. (laughs) Even just trying to remember all of my passwords can be a, 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 a chore sometimes because sometimes, you know, depending on where you are, they may require certain characters and then you have to add those characters. You have to remember, well, I I, I added a, 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 a exclamation point to this password or, and this one, I didn't add one. And it's sometimes, oh yeah, it, it absolutely can be a real pain, but Definitely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. One, one over, over 30 for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mentioned, well, obviously you, I mentioned you're a cybersecurity officer, but I'm assuming that wasn't always the case. So what was your path to cybersecurity? So I think it's pretty interesting, actually. Um, So my background mainly is in IT. So I started out uh, running the IT department for a small company that grew. And then I moved over to Siemens Healthcare into their R&D group where I was doing what would now be called DevOps. At the time, it was called configuration management. It's basically like automated uh automated deployment and processing of in software development scenarios and so like some programming but a lot of systems work as well kind of in that same it area and i didn't even i did not recognize myself as someone with a security background um but my boss uh, needed someone to take over a security role. And he said, you have the skills that we want in this role. And I was like, what are you talking about? I've never been in a security role. And, um, you know, why do you want me to do this? And he finally convinced me. And now looking back, I really had a ton of experience in security. And I think this is actually a typical way that people feel in the security industry that they don't recognize the skills that they have and they don't recognize the depth of the skills they have in the security realm. So like I was in IT, I was securing servers and workstations and telephony and networks and all of these kinds of things. Um, But I didn't recognize that as being a skill that was separate from the IT work that I was doing. And so as I grew into that role, I recognized that. And I also recognize that it's pretty much a problem across the industry in general. Hmm. So for the people who are thinking about cybersecurity and they're they're concerned about whether they have the, the skills or not, what are the I guess the, the top the top few skills that they should have to even consider getting into cybersecurity? It really, there's so many different kinds of jobs in cybersecurity that it's hard to really nail down, you know, a top three or even top five, um, because you've got lawyers reviewing contracts for cybersecurity terms. You've got regulatory people analyzing laws that are coming out. You've got people writing secure code and reviewing code for others. You've got people securing uh, servers and and workstations the way I was, or networks. 
So you've got people with like technical skills and non-technical skills. Um, so it's really hard to pinpoint what would be like a top set of skills that someone is interested is should be studying. But I would say just being interested and having a lifelong uh, learning perspective, I think, is probably the number one the number one and two skills. You know, being interested and wanting to learn more. Excellent. So for the work that you do, are there certain certifications that it would be beneficial to have? There are definitely a ton of different certifications. I have what's called a CISSP. That's one of the big cybersecurity certifications for cybersecurity management. But you have to already be in cybersecurity and have a certain number of years of experience before you can even get that. Um, but there are a bunch of different ones that don't require expertise. Uh, they have that same group, ISC Squared. They have an entry-level certification kind of in the same, using the same knowledge. There's uh, Ethical Hacker, Certified Ethical Hacker certification that I know is very popular. Um, you know, and then there are other ones that are also more kind of specialized, like if you are dealing with Linux all the time, maybe you want to go for a Red Hat certified engineer with a security spe specialization or something like that. So there are a lot of different options um, and a simple Google search will find what those different options are. All right. You, you know, I don't think I asked this question before. I probably should have, but I suppose there's no time, you know, you get certainly it's not too late. We're still talking. So when it comes to uh, being a cybersecurity officer, what does that actually entail? So uh, it, it depends for me. Uh, I'm dealing with a couple of primary roles. So I'm ensuring that the systems within uh, my purview are secured and that we're properly managing those. So like we're identifying the systems that need to be secured and we're putting in place the proper security for those systems and we're tracking it with the right KPIs. Um, we can also talk about personnel. So making sure that people have the right knowledge to protect themselves and protect the company. So, for instance, one of the things that we've been talking about um, this month, and so we're recording this in October, and October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And so we're conducting a bunch of trainings about phishing, because that is one of the areas that uh, people and companies are most vulnerable from. And so I'm conducting those trainings, I'm preparing those trainings, uh, I'm looking at the numbers and making sure that you know our mock phishing kpis are on track and all of those kinds of things i'm putting in place the framework for the local organization to make sure that we're secure on the other side of the fence i'm also working with customers so i talk with hospitals and hospital systems about um, how to secure their devices, how to secure their network, and how to put in place programs to run their medical device security programs, as well as developing security services for hospitals um, 
because many hospitals don't have the expertise or the bandwidth to be able to do the work that needs to be done. So companies like Siemens Health and Ears, uh, we can help step in and provide some of those services that uh, there are gaps at hospitals. When it comes to speaking in front of people, is that something you've always been good at? And if not, what'd you do to get better at it? I would say definitely not. I, and it was something that I would say probably until maybe 10 years into maybe maybe less, somewhere between five and 10 years into my working life did I even start broaching. And it was because there was a direct name. So I would classify myself as an introvert, maybe on the extroverts, kind of towards the center, kind of towards the extrovert side of things, but definitely an introvert. And I was reluctant and not interested in any kind of public speaking speaking or public role until actually at some point when I was at Siemens, there was a need to provide some training to the team that I was running. And there wasn't a training available. And I said, okay, I'll put together the training and I'll run the training. And so I did that and it was it went really well. And I ended up doing that a few more times and gaining some confidence. And I liked it. And then there were some opportunities uh, within our management group where they needed someone to to run an event like run a local event and i said okay you know i did this training I'm, i'll give it a try like i'm available i'm happy to do it and so i did it i liked it i was good at it and so that continued to build my confidence and so whenever there was an opportunity i took the opportunity I think that has been my main entry into public speaking was just when there was an opportunity, I said yes. That's excellent. And, and yeah, kudos to you for seeing those opportunities and actually taking advantage of them as opposed to just staying not all that adept at, at speaking in front of people and then you know, complaining that you don't get opportunities because of a, of a lack of, of presentation or public speaking skills. I think especially a lot of people with technical backgrounds, and I can certainly attest to this for myself, opportunities opened up once I started speaking. Because a lot of times you're focused mm-hmm. on your, your technical work and you just assume that every, everyone else is going to pay attention to what you're doing. But I mean, if you really think about it, it's, it's rather self-centered to think that way because it's like you're the center of everyone's universe. They're just paying attention to you. They got other people that they're, they're managing. They got their own careers that they're managing. So, I mean, if you're not going to be your biggest self-advocate, I, I'm not sure you really should expect anyone else to be. So, yeah, kudos to you for seeing those opportunities and taking them. You know, when you it know, comes- I, I love that point. I would say so many of the speaking engagements, engagements I've gotten recently are because of previous speaking engagements I've done. Um, I was working with this company and uh, they were having a user conference and they said, okay, we'd like to have you on a panel with some other speakers. Those were great connections. And then someone from that panel wanted to do that same panel again at a really big conference. And then while I was at that conference, Uh, I said, okay, well, how about if I present in our booth 
about cybersecurity. So I was doing that also while at that conference. And someone from the conference news organization saw one of my presentations and said, hey, we thought that was great. We'd like to interview you. And then that led to another speaking engagement also. So just saying yes can lead to many more opportunities after that. 100%. But when it comes to the presentations that you do in front of people, Britt, do you have a process for putting them together? And if so, what is it? Not really. Um, I feel like at this point in my career, I've spoken so many times about these same topics that it's pretty easy for me to, I don't want to say rattle off, but, you know, say the same kinds of things that I'm saying over and over to customers, to colleagues, to partners in the context of a presentation. Um, so like if I'm on a panel, I like to, uh, you know, have some notes ahead of time about what kind of questions are going to be asked and then think about how I might answer those. I'm typically not writing down what I think I'm going to say because usually there's some back and forth and the questions change and there's follow-up questions. Um, but, you know, to kind of have an idea around what in general I'm going to be talking about. If I'm giving a presentation, you know, of course, I'm going to be putting together slides. And I usually will want to keep those as lightweight as possible, um, using them as a guide, as a, as a talking point but not spelling out everything that I am talking about on the slide itself, you know, keep them pretty simple and then really talk up the information as opposed to just having the information on a slide. Um, but overall, I'm not spending a lot of time prepping. I'm talking about topics that I'm already very familiar with and that I regularly have conversations about. And so it's pretty easy to then translate that into into a presentation or into a you know answers with a, in a in a roundtable format i think it's smarter of you to not have a whole lot of text on the slides and, and speak instead because ultimately it's public speaking not public reading especially if you got right, a bunch of people in the in the audience just reading your slides it's very difficult to read and listen at the same time so you're 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 speaking and you may be revealing things that are not on the slides that people really want to know, but they spend the whole time just reading all the text that's on the slide and they may miss some things that, that you talk about. So uh, kudos to you again for, for, for doing that. It's, I think it's really smart. Yeah, I can't read and listen at the same time. So I don't know how many other people are out there like me, but that's definitely something that I can't do. Yeah, same here. When it comes to the presentations that you give, do you ever get nervous before them? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? I used to get much more nervous than I get now. Um, but one thing that someone said to me that I have found really valuable and that I still use is when you get those feelings, don't think of it as nervousness. Think of it as excitement. And the way that you frame your thinking actually changes the way you feel about 
those physical feelings and they are very physical feelings you know sweating cold hands you know nervous kind of shaking like those are all totally natural physical things when you are quote unquote nervous for something like this um but just saying to yourself you know this is i'm excited over giving this presentation i'm excited to be on this panel and those things i'm feeling are excitement that totally changes the way that you feel about those feelings yeah i think you're right about that i mean nervousness has kind of a i guess a negative connotation to it but excitement has a positive connotation to it and right you, you feel the same with both so why not feel positively about the experience yeah i, I, right. I agree with you absolutely when it when it comes to not just not necessarily yourself, but when you've been in the audience and you've seen other people with technical backgrounds giving presentations, what is the one thing that you think they struggle with the most? Hmm. Um, I would say there's maybe a few things. Um, reading off of either a script or note cards. Uh, it's hard to be engaging if you're going off of something pre-prepared like that, it's really important to, you know, connect with the audience. And so if you're like face down in written materials, it's really hard to do that. And then also on the engagement side, you know, bring some energy to it. Try and have a little excitement in your voice, you know, get people excited about whatever it is that you're talking about. Um, don't just stand up there and, you know, talk in a monotone way. Like, give bring bring some energy to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, certainly the reading slides can be can be an issue because yeah, if you're reading the slides, you're not looking at people, and then if you're not looking at people, they're probably not looking at you. They're looking at their phones. <laughs> right, definitely. And you wouldn't even notice because, well, you're not looking at them. And then right. the, uh, bringing the energy, I think that's really important too, especially, you know, during certain parts of the day, if you're giving a speech after lunch, people are probably already kind of tired. So you oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. After a, a lunchtime talk is the worst or after a lunch talk is the worst. Yeah. And if there's some way you can bring an interactive, uh, interactive portion, you know, get the audience to call things out or raise their hands um that's you know that's a great way to bring some of that energy too uh so just this morning i was conducting one of those fishing trainings that i was telling you about and so when i was preparing for that in the slides that i prepared i had real examples of real emails and phishing emails and i ran polls and i said i brought up a poll and i said okay you know vote on whether or not you think this is a real email or a phishing email and then we talked about why people voted that way and um you know what were some of the red flags that they were looking at so it was a way to bring them into the discussion as well and i think that's a really helpful way to keep people engaged and active and interested well i hope most of the people picked out the phishing email if not well we got a problem <laughs> yeah, they, they did a good job they did a good job wonderful well this has been a, a great conversation brett thank you so much for being a guest how can people get in touch with you 
I think the best way is LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to search me up on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Brett Harris, and uh, the URL linkedin.com slash IN slash Brett Harris, and that's Brett, B-R-E-T-T, two T's. Excellent. Well, everyone, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek Interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. I work with technical professionals so they can present more effectively, especially in front of non-technical audiences. And you can learn more about that at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Brett. Thank you very much. Bye. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Or on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.